Welcome everyone, FPNA Fridays. Uh, I have Chris Ortega, Glenn Snyder. Welcome, gentlemen. Really excited to be chatting to you today. Uh, we've got a really fun topic. We're going to be talking about managing uh, teams and how to get uh, high performance culture going, and you know how to really elevate uh, superstars in your team and how to coach. You know, maybe C players to B players, B players to A players. That that sort of. Uh, that sort of topic, um, and let's focus, you know, today on on FPNA folks. I mean, we we know that there's a lot of trends in FPNA. You see a lot of folks coming from the accounting side. You know, they they end up doing really well in that accounting role, and then they're like, oh, I want to get closer to the business, and then they come across to FPNA, and that uh, that presents some challenges, of course, in terms of what they may have learnt or what they may not have learnt, and and how do they move on and adapt. Glenn, I know you've uh, you've probably been the most experienced manager of this group, so I'd actually really like to start with you today. So, uh, welcome to the stage, Glenn Snyder. Thank you very much. You know, it is a challenge uh, sometimes, especially when you have people going from accounting, which is very much focused on, hey, you got to follow certain steps, and there's there's very strict rules you have to, to abide by. And then you move over to FPNA, where it's, you start with a blank spreadsheet and go build something from there. Um, I always used to have, when I used to teach at San Francisco State University, and I would get students who would say to me, I don't know if I want to go into finance or accounting. And I tell them, I say, oh, you know, well, in finance, there's a lot of creativity. You're building stuff that never existed before. In accounting, you have very strict rules you have to follow. If you want to be creative and you go into accounting, you end up in jail. So I said, hopefully that helps determine um, what path you really want to go down. Uh, you know, so, yeah, do you yeah. like wearing orange jumpsuits? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, you go to jail. You don't, you don't pass go either. You go directly to jail. That's right. And so, you know, a lot of what happens is how do you go over and change that mindset? How do you go from I know what steps I need to follow to – this is completely ambiguous. I'm starting with a blank spreadsheet. There's a thousand different ways I can approach this. Sometimes, I mean, as today's topic, we're talking about how to manage people and motivate people. Sometimes that could be very scary for people who are used to a very structured environment to go to very unstructured. And as a manager, you have to provide guidance. You have to understand what level are they really at. If they are very new, uh, you know, they're very insecure about their own abilities. You're going to want to be more hands on. You don't want to be a micromanager, but you want to go over and you want to help them through each step. So they gain the confidence and they see success at each different level. If they are more comfortable building models and going through stuff, you want to just be more hands off, point them in the direction, say, hey, this is what we need to get to. Go build something that gets us there. And sometimes there's a lot of in-between. The one thing I would say when it comes to managing people is everyone has their own style. But if you go over and say, hey, team, you need to adapt to me as a manager, you're not a very good manager. You need to recognize the skills and the abilities of the people who you are managing, and you need to adapt, adapt your style to make sure that you are going to be the best manager for them because that's how you're going to get the most effective results out of your team. So let's talk about that because, you know, as team leaders, uh, first thing you want to do is you don't want to build a bunch of clones of yourself, right? Um, you know, you want to bring in people from very different backgrounds, from very different uh, skill sets and talents, right? In finance, that's often difficult because there is just a natural pathway for people. Most people have come through some sort of accounting and CPA process. And so the uh, the colleges may have just, uh, you know, the, the curriculum basically breeds them into being a certain type. Now, that's not true of marketing. So I'm, I'm asking you guys the question because we get all sorts of folks, right? All sorts of creative folks, all sorts of data-driven folks into the marketing org. Is that an actual challenge as a manager where everyone not everyone most people have come from the world of accounting into into fpna is that an actual challenge that you face as a manager chris you want to start and i'll chime in after yeah i you know what i think this is a common thing right and a lot of managers make this mistake of you know looking at cvs and looking at resumes and saying oh look 
they check all the boxes in the experience. They worked with this tool. They worked with that. And I always tell people like managers to think about, right? Because it is wrong. You're exactly right. It's difficult because you have to have that person that knows US GAP, IFRS. It's a very technical role that you just can't come from like marketing and be like an accountant or be an FBNA person. I think you can make the transition FBNA. But when you're looking for it, I always tell people, don't look at the don't look at the experience. Don't look at that they let a month in close. What is the core competencies that you want for your team? Everything that I've done, and, I, and I've made the mistake in this. I've made hiring mistakes where I said, oh, they've got the experience. They let a month in close. Uh, you know, they know uh, international. They know IFRS. They got their CPA, right? I've checked all the boxes to make sure we have like a right person. But, and, and I learned that I got to look at the core competency. So when I go about structuring for a team, I say, okay, here are the core competencies that I bring. What do I need for the role, right? If, I, if I'm looking for an accounting person, I need someone with attention to detail. I need someone that delivers results. I need someone that can manage multiple projects. I need someone that's collaborative, right? And I structure my engagement, my, uh, I need someone that uh, values business partnership, right? So it, it's less about like, do you know how to do a depreciation, a depreciation entry in Oracle, right? Like it's about that. So I think like most teams need to make sure that they're thinking about what are the core competencies? And that's how you get that diversity of your skill sets on your team. You maybe everybody knows how to speak the accounting and, and language, but at least you build that skill portfolio because there's areas like attention to detail, that's, I struggle with that. So when I need to have attention to detail, like I need to click on a whole nother hat. I need to take the Lamborghini to gear two. And I need to be like, okay, I'm in the school zone right now. And I need to make sure that I'm not hitting potholes that I'm not like, I'm, I'm going 25 miles an hour in the school zone. So that would be my recommendation. So I have a kind of, I, I, some, some aspects very, very similar to Chris. Some, uh, you know, I, I 100% agree with Chris. It's about the core competencies. But I look at it as not just what role are you hiring for, but what's the next role after that, too? And to go a little further to say, how are they going to develop? Do I have a place for them to learn and grow? Because I, I'll give you a really good example. I had a, a friend of mine at, a, at Charles Schwab, and he was a finance director. He hired somebody very specific for a project. She did this project. It was like a nine-month project. She did a fantastic job. He took her off that project and moved her into a finance business partner role, and she failed miserably because that was not her skill set. And they ended up having a manager out of the company because she knew how to do one thing, but she had a hard time being that flexible where you know the, the business really needed somebody who could come in and adapt to them. So for me... I go over, I don't really focus on, oh, or do they have an accounting background or did they do this job before? I look at, for, I look at things like how strong are they at, at communication? Um, how fast of a, you know, how fast do they pick things up? How strong of a learner are they? Um, you know, are they afraid of technology or do they embrace technology and say, you know, I'm going to play around and see what I could come up with? Um, how proactive are they? Those are the, the things that I can't teach. Right. I can't teach someone to be proactive. So I, that's really what I'm looking for. I could teach somebody to build a, an Excel model. I could teach how to be a business partner. I can't teach them to learn quickly. So those are the, the core competencies that I really look for. But the funny thing is, is that I don't think that there is a, you know, a, a feed from colleges or from accounting that comes into FPNA. I've had people who've worked for me who have been engineers. I've had people who have been history majors, right? I mean, it's more about what are you interested in? Are you interested in solving problems? Are you interested in helping take a company or a business line to another level? Are you interested in that strategic thinking, but with finance discipline? Those are the things. If you have that interest, you'll be successful. I don't care what you majored in in college. Uh, I've gone over, I've had the, what's it, the, uh, the, Director of Mergers and Acquisitions when I was at Franklin Templeton was a history major. The guy I reported to at Franklin, who was head of portfolio management and trading, was a philosophy major. It doesn't matter. Uh, I've had multiple people on my team who have been engineers who have, who were like you know mechanical engineers went over got an MBA and had more interest in finance and they were fantastic. 
So it's not about what have you done or what was your background. It's about where do you want to go and what's your interest and how well are you going to apply yourself to go and be successful in the role. I love it, Glenn. I love that, uh, you know, you talk about that kind of curiosity and that behavior, right? That's what we're all looking for when we're hiring. But let's, let's kind of now assume that we're not hiring. Let's assume that we've got our team in place and maybe you've, uh, you know, you've got a new job and you've inherited a team, right? You haven't been able to hire everyone in and this happens to a lot of folks all the time or, yeah, or you've, um, you know, you're just joining a company and, and, and again, you know, you get the opportunity to hire, but now you've got a team and you're there and you've got a couple of, uh, you know, people potentially reporting into you. Now you have a team. No one teaches us, well, I never got taught about team dynamics, right? No one ever told me that not only as the leader, you're responsible for your own personal career because you should always be responsible for your own career, but also that now I was responsible for team dynamics. I'm also expected to create diversity of thought, diversity of uh, culture, lots of you know diversity on the team which creates conflict in the team intentionally because you want that conflict to create a, you know, great high performing team because challenging each other creates, you know, another great culture. But now we're in team dynamics and then you've got the, also the individual responsibility of you're now meant to meant to be a mentor to every single one of those people that report to you. Right. And, And so as a leader, you're like, Oh my God, I'm just trying to do my job really well. And now I've got, I'm I'm responsible for the whole team. And now I'm responsible for each of these individuals. And, and like Glenn said, I, I, I truly believe you're meant to treat everyone differently because everyone has, everyone has different needs, wants, expectations, ways they like to be managed and different skill sets, frankly. I think we've all done those uh, those disc profiles, those spin profiles, right? Like everyone's probably done 20 or 30 of them and, and you end up kind of knowing where your, your talent stack is or your emotional stack is. So let's talk about some of those things. Um, Glenn, I'd love for you to tell me about a time where you've had to coach someone from being, and, and I think this has probably happened to you, I, I would guess, um, where you've had to coach someone from, you know, maybe their behavior is not what you need it to be and you have to get them to change into being something that maybe not naturally their skill set. Like you talked about collaboration um, and you talked about communication. Some people really struggle with that and they need to be coached. I'd love to hear your perspective on how do you coach someone to do something that doesn't come naturally and I know you're a good person for this because you've, you've admitted that this is something that didn't come naturally to yourself. Right. Yeah, I, you know, it was actually funny. When I think about the, be- the best situation I could tell you about was when I first started Charles Schwab. I was the director who was going to be uh, working with the product management organization, which was a very large team at, at Schwab. And they gave me one person uh, to report to me who had been around um, he had uh, been with Schwab for about 10 years, and uh, but the senior vice president of the group said they called him a steady Eddie, which is, you know, the guy who's just going to be, you tell him what to do, he does exactly what you, what you ask, nothing more. And if you don't tell him what to do, he might just stare at his screen all day and do nothing. And so I'm sitting like, oh, okay, great. But hey, you know what? Happy to have somebody. Great. Okay. So let me, so the first thing I do is I go and I take the guy out to lunch. And we start talking. He goes over. He says to me, "You know, I really don't see the value of FP&A. I'm going to start looking for another job." I'm like, "One day on the job," and I'm like, "I'm losing my staff already. Are you kidding me?" And so I, so I start talking to him. I'm like, "Well, what don't you like about this?" And his impression was that FP&A, because this is what he was being asked to do. You produce variance reports and you just send out the reports and you get data, you look at it, you write up an explanation and you send it out. And I said, well, how often are you engaging with the business? And he's like, well, they'll ask me questions. And I said, no, how much are you engaging with the business? And he's like, uh, you know, I don't interact with them that much. And so I finally said to him, look, give me six months and let me see if I could go over and change it. So the first thing you have to do is when you're coaching somebody, you have to ask for their commitment. Because if they are not willing to follow you, you're going to have a whole different kind of problem. 
So you got to start with, hey, give me this time period. You know, in this case, it was, I was talking to this guy and I said, give me six months. Let me see if we could go over and change the way you're, you perceive what your role is. And I started challenging him and I said, why don't you go out to the business and ask them about this? Why don't you go over and set up regular one-on-ones? Why don't you do, and I started challenging him to go out further and further and ask different things. Within two months, he came back to me and said, I never knew we could do stuff like this. This is really cool. I'm excited. It got to a point where two years later, I promoted him from manager to senior manager and his reputation had completely changed. But that was not something he did naturally. He, if he wasn't told to go and do something, he just sat there and waited. And I had to go over and coach him to be proactive, to go out of his shell. But the thing is, is that I held his hand at the beginning and I showed him the impact and I brought him into meetings and I asked the business directly, how are you using this? And he walked out of the meetings and saying, I never knew that's what that was used for. I didn't know what I was doing had this kind of impact. So to me, what you want to do is you want to show the impact that FPNA really has. Show those tangible results. Show why what you do matters and use that as a motivating factor to get people to change their behavior because everybody wants to do something where they're feeling what they're doing is important and adds value. And so to me, that's kind of a... The, the approach that I would recommend. I love that, Glenn. It sounds like you gave that uh, that individual a, uh, a a matrix red pill blue pill moment, and uh, and, and now they're aware <laughs> of what's going on in the world around them. That's that's a fantastic story, Chris. What have you experienced in in your time managing folks? Whether that's you know, one other thing that you really have to do that I perceive is uh, managing high performers is really tough right? Because they've got these high expectations of you, of their other team members, and also of their, of their own selves. I don't know if you've got a, uh, a low performer or a high performer story, but I'd love to hear from you, Chris. Uh, Rowan, I have all in between of them. I'll start with, I'll start with the low performing piece and then we'll get to the high performing side. I think when you got a low performer, right, you got to understand, uh, and this is where you, you, you take the, the leadership off you take and you put the more therapist empathetic view you have to see you have to understand and walk a day in that person's view right so for me i think when you're dealing with a low performer you have to say like hey what because i think everybody has their push and pull elements that they have right for example one of the low performers i had on my on my team it was a really big jump for her to move into like the business partnership and collaboration side even though that was a clear expectation and even though where I said in the interview, she gave great examples of it, but this is the thing when you hire, it's, it's a crapshoot. Some people interview really good and they tell you the great stories. You get them in the seat where it's time for them to do it. And you're like, we missed the mark on this. Right. And I sat down with her and I said, Hey, look, help me understand what are the friction elements for you? Right. What are the things about your job that, you just are struggling with that are that are those pulling to you that are that rubber band that's stretching almost to the point where the tension is going to break. Right. And we sat down and we also said, OK, here's what the role here's what we need you to do for the team. Here's the role. Right. And basically we had to go through and we did a fit gap analysis to say, look, like there's there's areas about the that this role that is stretching you way too much that are just going to constantly cause friction. And ultimately what that result was, was like we we said, this is probably not the best role for you in the long term. It's not going to be the best role for us. So let's let's find you that role, whether it be inside the business or outside the business that is more congruent to where you're at. Right. And ultimately what that led into is she's like, you know what, this is fine. Like, I, I'll, I'll you know what, let's give a, 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 a period of time and let's work through her finding that next opportunity. And that was a difficult conversation. And that was for her being vulnerable. That was for me being vulnerable. But I think you have to have those very transparent conversations and knowing with low performers, there's something about the push and pull. And there's also something about it as a leader. You just got to know people clock out, right? People disengage people. And it's hard to know when you're trying to pulse with people, you're trying to connect. A lot of times you won't get the whole full story. And you have to know as a leader that, you're going to get 50% of the truth, right? And what the biggest thing I learned in leadership 
was like, at the end of the day, you are the bad guy in somebody's story. Irregardless of how great you are, everything that you provide, one day you're going to be the bad guy in that story. And for me, that was something to get comfortable to. High performers, whole nother ball game. Right? Before we and be before we I, get to high performers, Chris, I, I wanted to just touch on one point you said there, like when people disengage. I think it's really important to recognize that when someone disengages, that doesn't mean they're a low performer either, right? Um, right. You may be getting low performance out of a disengaged person, but there is a very big difference between someone who is disengaged and often someone who might be a little over their skis in their role or someone who is just genuinely a low performer. They're two separate uh, matters and two separate methods, I believe, of, of how you tackle those issues, right? Um, tackling someone who's, uh, well, tackling might not be the right word, but helping someone who is, uh, who is disengaged might actually just be all about emotion and, uh, might be all around motivation, um, absolving them of some bad past experience they may have had with a previous manager or, you know, uh, re- recalibrating on expectation management. Maybe they've had a manager that had like really different expectations of them and, and you've come into a business and now you've, you've set a completely different expectation and they've just disengaged from it because they're like, this isn't my path uh, versus low performer, which is, I think, a very separate issue. So maybe that's something we can come back to. I'll let you come back on uh, on high performance, Chris. Unless Actually, before you go, go there, if I could just chime in real quick on just be, people being disengaged. What I have found is that when people are disengaged, sometimes it's they, they're just overwhelmed. They have too much mm -hmm. stuff on their plate. And you really just need to kind of look through what you're being, what they're being asked to do and how do you simplify their role? How do you simplify in a way that it's they're doing the work that they're excited about and you look at the stuff and you, that, that they're also being asked to do that maybe they're not as excited that, that they dread doing and see if you could go and move some of that maybe to another team member or something. This way you could simplify the role. It doesn't go over and make, make them into a high performer because the role could be you got to cover all of this stuff. But you start off and say, hey, let's take a couple baby steps first. Let's get you excited. Let's get you engaged with this. Let's get some successes. Then we can start adding some of these other points back in and talk about how to make those better. But I think you really have to go over and try and simplify roles when you have somebody who's disengaged. Yeah. And I think this is a great point. We just roll with it, right? Disengagement in the remote environment right now is a huge issue. It's a huge oh, yeah. issue, right? There's a lot of people that have burnout. There's a lot of people that... They're tired of being on Zooms, talking to the same team members or anything like that. And they just one of the biggest challenges I think we have as leaders is we have to connect people. Uh, I had a, I had someone work on my team and he always gave me this great advice. He says, Chris, one thing you're really great at is connecting everything that I do to like a bigger calling or a bigger picture. Right. Like a lot of times disengagement happens is because that person is in the forest. Right in the ground level and they don't see what's outside of that and sometimes you got to sit down with them and say here's how you're what you're doing what you're working on what your is results are driving here's what it's driving and sometimes it's unlocking that to say oh man i'm driving a you know because i'm doing this invoicing on a tactical level every day that's leading to revenue that we can have that be complete accurate which is going to an external party or going to our board or going to the sec it's connecting the dots to people. And, and the common trait that I've seen with disengagement is people don't understand the forest amongst the trees. They got to have that mindset. And as a leader, that is your job. You got to connect people to here's what we're driving towards. Here's where here's what we're doing. Here's here's where the difficulties we're having. Right. And and a lot of times, you know, I, I was an individual contributor just like Jim, Glenn was. Right. And I remember I would get disengaged. I would be like. And I was that disengaged person. I was still performing at a high level, but I was on autopilot. Like it was like I would give myself challenges just so I could like challenge myself. And I remember a leader sat down with me and it was the first time in my career. And he's a mentor of mine, highly respecting uh, one of the best influential people I've ever had a chance to work with. And we had a conversation. He says, Chris, man, like you're delivering you're doing everything, but I feel like you're in cruise control. He's the one that gave me the like the Lamborghini analogy. He says, 
I feel like the Lamborghini's in cruise control. And I was like, yeah, it is. He was like, well, how can we get the Lamborghini out of cruise control and get it outside of school zones? Like, how can we do that? Because we got to get you, <coughs> people can see it and it's noticeable, right? Like you can be on a team meeting and know like this person's clocked out, right? But it's understanding that bigger picture, right? It's connecting the dots on them. Maybe it's a, uh, reposition them in other projects or maybe it's just asking them to say hey what are some things you see in the business or in your role that we could be doing better right that's a great question to start like what could we be doing better how could i be doing better as a leader what are some areas that you see in the business that we could do better oh well i see this area okay what do you need to go into that area to go work on this project or work on this initiative well i need this this okay Let's work on a plan to get you that so you can go work on this area or make this improvement area, right? A lot of times it's doing that and it's, it's having that conversation and being vulnerable on both sides. So you gotta have that level of comfort, but disengagement is a huge, huge thing that a lot of people are facing. I mean, I, I face this with teammates. Um, so those are some steps that I do to really like address that disengagement aspect. One of the difficulties right now, to, to your point, uh, Chris, around the virtual world that we're, a lot of people are still existing in with disengagement is it's the first time for managers where they haven't had people in their office, right? So for me, it's a little bit different. I, I've, I've been part of remote work for a long time now. So this is kind of actually a, a restoration back to Rowan's normality. <laughs> um, you know, so I've been part of a lot of remote teams in my career. I remember when I first moved to London, it was just me and the boss, but the whole HQ was back in a completely different time zone and a completely different, you know, they were back in Australia and I was in London. That was 24 hour flight. We weren't going to meet, meet up that often. And, uh, and so as you go through this remote world, What's really important is for a lot of people, they're missing those those like little moments where, you know, you grab someone, everyone's just, you know, maybe grabbing a drink in the, in the uh, you know, water cooler or whatever or sitting down for lunch. You don't get those opportunities to say, oh, by the way, I saw that thing you did, great stuff, right? Or, hey, you know, I heard about this conversation you were having. Let me, let me like riff on that a little more. Those little kind of virtuoso, spontaneous moments Sometimes that's a moment of feedback. Other times that's a moment of, um, of kind of congratulations, of, of reward where you want to tell someone something. And it's really hard in this world where you've got to set a 30-minute meeting to have a conversation with someone. And it also just doesn't come across as meaningfully if it's like a text over Teams or Slack or whatever your team collaboration tool is, right? Like, a little less meaningful um so i think as a manager you've got to find ways in this current environment to really shout someone out to really over index to it um because if there's little things that you want to congratulate someone for or reward them for they're going to have to really feel it in this world right and that might be sending a physical gift that might be you know we, we here at planful we have a shout outs channel and, um, you know, managers shout out their, their teams or we shout out people cross-functionally. And it's a really great way to demonstrate, you know, I, I see you, right? And, and people haven't kind of felt seen for a while. And, and so you've got to find those moments. So I'd be interested, Glenn, in, in how you're challenging that now and how you're doing that in this environment. And you've probably, you've been part of some big organizations. So I imagine remote isn't new for you either. No, no, I've, I've, you know, I've, I've had teams who aren't where I'm located, but I've always been in the, the headquarters area, except for my current role, where there's only three total people in the Bay Area, uh, and I haven't even met one of them yet. So, and I've been in the role, you know, for <laughs> over well over a year, but my entire team, except for one person, is in India. I've never met the people who work for me. And I know last year, um, I, I took the team through a lot of changes. We did a reorg. We restructured the team. We challenged people with what they were doing to do things in a completely different way. And there was one point, and this was, by the way, this was totally on accident. I had no idea I was actually doing this. It worked out better than I thought. But I wanted to do something for the team. So I called up, I was, I was talking with the HR manager in India. And I said, you know, I'd like to just send like a box of chocolates or 
news or something to everybody. So we go on to India, uh, Amazon, and we find something that would be pretty good and we send it out. Well, as it turns out, what was sent with there was also like this red ribbon or something was in the box with the cookies. And it arrived the day before a celebration where you give out these red ribbons to people and it was like it had meaning. I had absolutely no idea. So <laughs> that was just dumb luck that I landed on that. But everybody on my team reached out to me like, oh, my God, Glenn, how did you know? This was so this was so thoughtful and everything. Else. Yeah, OK, the credit for it. But it was just one of those things where it ended up, you know, I didn't even charge the company. And by the way, when you go over and you're going to do a gift for your team, if you bill it back to the company, it doesn't really mean as much as if the team knows that it's coming out of your personal pocket. So, I mean, if you're going over and you're spending five bucks, ten bucks on on something for everybody, I recommend just pick it up on, on as your own tab because that means it's really coming from you, not the company. And so when my team received all of this, they were they were thrilled. They were excited. Uh, you know, a lot of them were like, oh, my God, my daughter just loved the cookies, you know, or whatever. Hey, great. But it was it was an excitement that they had. And there was an appreciation that they felt because they had never gotten something like that before. So that's one thing. Another thing that I would point out and I do I used to do this every every you know holiday season. So like first or second week of December. I would take my entire team, whether the people who are working for me, my boss and my admin out to a very nice two hour lunch, two, you know, two hour lunch. And it was just on me, not build back to the company, because I would always go and tell people I could only be successful because of the work that they do. And that's why it was my boss was included in that as well. Yes, I, you know, I, I would typically get nice bonuses because of the performance I would have. And that's that's a company driven thing. But this was me saying I can't do what I do without you guys doing what you do. And I really appreciate it. So having a lunch or a dinner and then what I would do when the teams were remote, when I would travel or something like I had a woman when I was working at, when I was at Schwab, a woman was working for me in Denver. And I, you know, I wasn't going to fly her out to San Francisco just for that one dinner. So instead, I took her and her husband out to dinner the next time I was in Denver. And we just had a nice dinner together. Those little efforts are really meaningful to people and so the whole thing is is that it's about and rowan you talked about this it's that little say that, that like little saying that you have or something that like when you're at the water cooler but it's reach out on a personal level and make that personal connection whether you're giving them a gift you're giving them a compliment you're just talking to them about some feedback making some time those types of things carry so much more weight so much. than just sending out an email saying great job Facts. Facts. I, I love it, Glenn. I mean, I, I think that's the that's the part about creating team dynamics uh, and and team leadership that we talked about before, right? So, you know, there's the there's the ability to create that team culture, and and those um, those rituals. Um, you know, like if you think about what we're actually doing often, so we're pulling together random people and we're creating a tribe, right? We're creating a team <laughs> and, and teams have rituals, right? Like you look at every great sporting team, they have rituals. You look at, uh, you know, every great high performing culture, they have rituals that they go through and it's part of our, our psyche as humans to want to have these things, right? You know, we just had summer solstice. That's something that a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of people celebrate because it's a moment in time and we need to mark and reflect those moments in time. Otherwise, things just kind of get a bit boring and get a bit mundane. So the other thing I think that, that what you talked about there is you created those rituals, right? It was in September. It was right before a big season of planning and you created that ritual and everyone probably knew that, hey, Glenn's going to take us out to take us out to a really nice long lunch and they were probably excited by it. And, and so that's another thing that's really important for me as, as a team lead is, is kind of creating those rituals. What are those habits? What are those things that you're going to expect to do and your team expect from you? Because if you don't create them, people are seeking something that, 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 that they don't have. Chris, do you do anything similar to that? Uh I do so many rituals. Where do I even start? So <laughs> one of the cool, one of the coolest things that I used to always love to do with my teams is we have a lot of external business partners. Mm -hmm. We have bankers. We have 
auditors. We have compliance people. We have all across the board. We had a lot of different vendors. And one cool thing I used to love to do with my team is I used to love getting the vendors to take us out to lunch. I used to love it. Like uh, one uh, Chase, Chase Bank wanted to do business with us, like, and they were chopping at the bits. And I was like, yeah, uh, you know what? We could do all this email, but like, let's go talk over lunch and take us to like this $100 steak place for lunch. And my team was always like, Chris, how do you get these people to do it? I'm like, well, you know, they're, they're taking us out. And we would sit there not wasting their time. I'm not wasting their time. But that was one of our rituals. We would always get people to take us out to free lunch. And everybody in the business was like, how does finance and accounting get to always go to these really nice lunches? And I'm like, there's not a dime cost into the business, right? And people do that. Um, another ritual that we would have during the remote environment is um, I would buy my team lunch every Friday. I use DoorDash. I get their address. I say, pick what you want. And I would DoorDash them every Friday. It was a ritual that we had that every Friday we would get together. We would have lunch. We would talk about stuff. So it wasn't that environment that we were all together. It just was like, hey, guys, I'm going to buy lunch for you. We'll get together. We'll talk about anything we want to talk about, or we don't. And there were times we were sitting on the meeting, and I'm I'm playing video games while they're on the lunch and they're talking, and you know we just had that time. Another thing I would do is uh, I would send I would send my teammates even uh, outside of my team. I would have like random jokes that I would put in our Slack channel for our entire uh, at Mars's group, and I'll be like, hey. Uh, who's joking, joking, I'll be like, all right, I'll send them like a $10 Starbucks gift card. Or anytime it was somebody's birthday, uh, I would send them a $25 gift card. And it'd just be right there in the, it's just small gestures like that. And Glenn hit it right on the head, right? I made sure that all this stuff with my teams and uh, directly and indirectly, that this was coming from me. It is, it, it, that's the key thing, right? And I'm not saying like, going debt doing all these different things for your teams or whatever <laughs> but i wanted to make sure like i'm doing this not as the accounting finance fpna leader of amarsis i'm doing this as chris ortega and i'm doing this because i want to do it for you and i don't want anything back from you i'm doing this for you so i mean yesterday we had a as we get back to open it back up and, and we're having you know our town hall meeting i said it's important for me to show the team that I'm back in the office, like how town halls used to be. It used to be we all sit in the room. We have so much fun. We're high-fiving. I'm cracking jokes. People are saying, Chris, I bet you can't name every employee. And I go through and I'm like, boom, 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 naming everybody. And everybody's like, how the hell does this guy know everybody? I'm like, I, I take it as a leader to know every single person I'm talking with and what you do. And that was important. And they were like the feedback that we got from the team, but just the leaders being in the office on video to show that we're in the office. Everybody was like, Chris, man, that felt like old times. That felt like a year and a half ago. You know, that was fun. That was exciting. Like seeing you there and like it felt like we were there. Right. So you, you got to do the best you can to create. And it's, it, it's difficult, but you have to do the best you can to create that environment. And that reaching out and that connection. I mean, you know, one thing I do that's a ritual for me that everybody knows in the organization is like I'm the meme king. Meme, you know, like memes that you can send out. I send that stuff out in emails. I send it out in slacks. And everybody's like, Chris is like the mean overlord. Like, and I just I just do that. So you got to find those things that keep it fun. And, and for me, it's like when you do that as a leader, People know that they can relate to you. You've created a link to them that they know is like, oh, man, I could go talk to Chris about fitness or that meme was awesome or anything like that. You almost break down the barriers of like, oh, man, it's just like it's this big leader that I can't even talk to. And then once you break that down, people know it's like, oh, man, Chris is Chris is one of us. You know, Chris is Chris is, you know, he's not like somebody in the ivory tower that I have to schedule like 15 minutes to get on his calendar he's 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 one of the teammates i had to think that is so important as a leader but you also have to balance that because you are a leader you have to know the right judgments and i have failed in that area in probably ways we can't talk about it on, on fpna friday <laughs> but you gotta 
you got to have that balance. So I think for me, that's how, that's the perspective I brought to it. Yeah. Hopefully HR aren't coming knocking for the uh, Anakin Padme meme that you recently, no, I'm just joking. I'm sure you, I'm sure you've got a a really good Anakin and Padme meme for finance, uh, Chris. Oh, 100%. (laughs) So I know we're, uh, we've gone a little bit more casual and talking about fun stuff, right? Let's, let's come back to like true team management. What are some of the frameworks that you use um, to help with those conversations? Because I think, uh, you know, a lot of new leaders are like, how do I give feedback, right? How do I coach someone to move from, you know, being uh, reactive to proactive? Um, I'll share a couple that that I've used. Uh, One is uh, start, stop, continue, right? Which is start doing this, stop doing that, keep doing this uh, or continue doing this. That's a really easy framework where you can quickly have a one-to-one with someone and say, hey, all right, here are the things that I need you to stop doing. Here are the things you need to start doing. Here are the things you should keep or continue doing. And another one that that we use here at at Planful is um, FIF, um, which is fact, impact, uh, future, right? So fact, I observed this behavior or this thing. The impact of that was in future, you should do this. Or, you know, this should change, right? And and those little frameworks are really, really helpful for new managers, new leaders, because it gives them a way of having a conversation that doesn't scare them. What um what 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 have you used in your career, Glenn? Um, to be honest, I, I really try not to use stuff like that. I, I kinda go the other way. But the one thing I would say is constant communication. I mean, I make sure that every one of my direct reports, we have a weekly one-on-one, and I tell them I want them to set the agenda. I want to hear from them. But I look at it as when you're doing a mid-year review, you're doing an annual review, if there is anything that comes up where your employee is surprised, you failed as a leader. You need to be giving constant feedback. Anything that comes up, I mean, think of it this way. If you procrastinate on doing chores in your house, you're not... You know, you don't go over and you don't vacuum your floors or something. If you don't do that for a year, it's going to you're going to go through a lot of, you know, just dust and everything. You're going to be constantly emptying out your your vacuum cleaner into the trash bag. It's a lot more work. If you go over and you vacuum your floors once a month, it's kind of minor. You go through it really quick because there's not as much stuff as built up. It's the same thing with managing employees. You want to meet with them on a regular basis. You want to talk to them. You want to make sure you're constantly giving feedback so it's part of the regular conversation so that when you get to a mid-year review, an annual review, they know exactly what's coming. And sometimes when it comes to like when people are rating, you know, you have to do the the self-evaluations. They say, oh, you know, are you exceeding expectations? Are you far exceeding? Are you meeting expectations? It's fine if you're off by one level because sometimes there's just other things that come into play. But if you're off by two levels, you screwed something up. That means you're not on the same page. And so that's the big thing for me. It's not about, oh, here's what I want you to stop doing or continue doing or whatever. I mean, that could, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not knocking it. It's different people have different styles. My style is just open-ended, direct conversation for an hour uh, every single week. And sometimes you end up talking about sports. Sometimes you talk about vacations. Sometimes you talk about projects. Sometimes you spend the entire hour talking about feedback. But the whole point is you have dedicated that hour to each one of your direct reports every single week. And by the way, the other thing I would say, because I've been on the other end of this, if you have those meetings come up and sometimes you got to move those one on ones, you got to be a little flexible. But if you consistently cancel those one on ones because you're too busy, your employee feels that directly and they are feeling like hey my i'm not that important to my boss because they clearly don't want to take the time to talk to me and they keep on doing other things that they feel is more valuable do not do that to your employees make sure that you are going to that is their time with you value that as much as they as they are going to value it and you will have a much more engaged employees and those conversations will be a lot more valuable and a lot be a lot more honest 
then if you go over, if your employees are thinking, yeah, you're doing this because you, you, you kind of have to do it, or you spend the entire time in your one-on-ones just going through, here's the exact work that I've been doing, and it's like a checklist. No, no, it's let your employees set the agenda, let them talk about what they want to talk about, and many times the employee will say, I want feedback on this, I want your guidance on this, I want your coaching on this, and you got to be there to make sure you are there for your employee, and that's what that hour is really about. Yeah, I'll, I'll admit, Glenn, uh, I've really struggled with the consistent one-to-ones and uh, until I got a, a, um, a, a fantastic EA and actually we did this um, thing at an offsite recently where everyone said what they're grateful for about an individual and uh, basically everyone said to, the, to, to Celeste, we're so grateful for you managing Rowan's calendar. Uh, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm such a bad person because I couldn't manage my calendar properly. But, um, you know, it is one of those things, right? You, you do have to get really good at um, dedicating that time uh, to your team, to your employees. You know, something I've instituted recently is is skip level meetings, right? Not just meeting with my direct reports. And, and that's harder to do as you get a really big team. But it's important that you're able to actually meet with everyone because the other thing as a leader and as a, as a team lead is you also have a purview across a bunch of different things that uh, maybe your, you know, your direct reports don't have. Um, and you can help, you know, manage all of the what can often be feel very chaotic for people, and you can manage those expectations as as a skip level leader too. So, really, um, really important, Chris. What um, what routines do you put in place with your teams or or you know sub teams? Yeah. So for me, it's it's you know having a global role and supporting uh, uh, having direct reports in different time zones and all across the world. For me, it's like it, it, Glenn. Glenn is definitely right on the performance side. I think we should sunset and take a, a quick second to RIP the annual performance review process. The same way that we should sunset budgeting, we should sunset the annual review process. It's outdated. It's old. Nobody really wants it. It's not. I mean, it, it's just a checkbox, right? But making sure, like what I do for my team, my team conversations that I have with with my America's teams and all the different regions is, you know, we kind of go through, I use it for four different things. A, to align on what the priorities that we have in the week. So I get everybody and like, what are the priorities that you're working through, right? I use it as a second thing of cascading as much information as possible, right? I believe in over communication. So I use that meeting to, to, I have my list and I go through my departments. And I'm like, here's the updates. Here's everything I want to cascade to you guys. So you guys are in the know. It's not about action. It's more about getting information out. The, the third thing I do in my meetings is I ask this one. I ask this question to everybody and all my one on ones, all my direct uh, like regional finance leaders. I ask them, are there any frustrations, roadblocks or concerns that I can help or assist you with? That is so important. So yeah. important. If you don't have that conversation about performance, ask them, is there anything that I can do to help and serve you better? Anything. What can I do to help you? That that conversation with somebody and I've had conversations now in my in my global role where there's been people that never been asked that. They're like, Chris, what what do you mean? Like you're you're the you're you're the big boss. How why are you asking me if if I can help you? I'm like anything like it it, it goes. This goes both ways. Right. And they were like, well, yeah, Chris, there is one thing that you can help me with. Can you help me with this blocker that I'm having on the commercial side? I'm not getting any progress. Perfect. Send me the email. Let me know the details. I'll, I'll cover your back on that. So much time people just want to know that they can have you to go to and you genuinely want to help them. Please, as leaders, listen, listen, don't ask that question if you're not going to do anything about it. Like if you're just asking that and they're asking for help and you're just like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll get to it. But I got these other things like Glenn mentioned. If you're constantly pushing the meetings out, you're basically discounting that person. You're just saying, nah, you're not important to me. I have other things to worry about. I keep all of my one-on-ones, right? I tell, I tell, I tell like SAP leaders that I'm like, I understand, but this, I got this meeting. So we can catch up afterwards. We can get aligned on action cycles, but it is intentional for me to catch up with my team and I value this time. So I'm sorry, right? I, I, I'm sorry. I can't do that. 
And I think you got to be really, really conscious about that. And sometimes it's one-on-ones and we talk about sports and we talk about economics or, you know, it's just all across the board and, and people, you know, and even sometimes as a leader outside of a county finance FPNA, I talk to other, I talk to other teammates. I schedule spot one-on-ones in the commercial team and in operations and client success and marketing. And they'll be like, and you see it. They get on the call with me, Rowan and Glenn, and they're like, they think they did something wrong. They're like, oh man, like finance is talking to me. Like what's going on? And I'm just like, look, I, I want to get on with you. I, I want to know what's going on in your world and how I can better help and serve you. And you see the look on their face. They're like, what? You're like, you're in accounting and finance in FPNA. What do you mean? I'm like, eh. but I'm, I'm, I'm here to serve you. You are my stakeholder. You are the person. So I want to check in with you, see how things are going, how you feeling about things. And you'd be surprised as a leader how that denutralizes you. And now you become not just an accounting and finance leader. You become like an overall go-to. There's people that in all functional areas that come and go to me. They're like, Chris is the go-to because I know he's going to give me good insight. I know he's going to listen. And I know he's going to actually put action to his words, right? Be impeccable about your words. Do it, Say what you're going to do and do what you say. Leadership is its not rocket science. It's, it's literally just that. But you also have to be transparent too because uh, sometimes someone will say, like, if you want to help someone or you ask that question, what can I do to help you? And they put something in front of you and you're like, there's no way I can fix that. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, And at that point, you just have to say, look, I understand what you're looking for there. I do not have it in my power, my responsibility, whatever that may be, right? Like I can't unlock that for you. There are barriers to me unlocking that for you, right? And be transparent about it, whatever that might be. Yep. Hey, you know, no, we can't have that net new hire that you want because we don't have the budget to do that. Let me help you understand how we could go and solve this problem, you know, whatever that may be, right? Um you, you're not expected as a leader to have all the answers all the time or have the magic key to the golden kingdom, right? You, you can't do all of those things because it's not necessarily, it's actually in your power to prioritize, to organize and to shape the environment that everyone else is working within to the best of your ability. And, and sometimes things are, are out of your control too. You know, so and, I Rowan, agree, one thing is, and I agree. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Chris. Uh, I agree, Rowan, but the purpose of that conversation is that person has a voice. Yeah, oh, they correct. now can exp they can express it to a leader. And again, like I'm not solving everybody's problems, right? That's not your job. Rowan's 100% correct. But you provided that audience for them to tell us like, hey, look, I understand you. I hear what you're saying. I see how that's frustrating. But in my current capacity, this is what the it would take for me to be able to do this, right? And this is the effort that right now is not the priority for the business. So I hear you and I appreciate you sharing with me, but that's not, you know, that is, a, a for me as a person, a, a leader heard my voice. I got an audience to be able to say that. So it's not always trying to solve the world's problems, but it's providing the opportunity to know what it is. 100%. Well, and, and so let me just chime in from the other side of that. As the leader, you always want to make sure you are honest, you are direct, you are upfront, you are transparent. Make sure that you go over and don't play games with your employees. Don't try and hide certain information. Don't try and say one thing to one person and something else to somebody else because <laughs> it will just destroy your career and destroy any trust that employee has in you. And so the best thing to do is to show that employee that you empathize with them, that you understand their situation and that you are there to help in whatever way you can. But there are some things, you know, somebody could come back and say, Hey, you know what? I want to buy that 14 house, that 14 you know, bedroom mansion over there. And you're like, yeah, you're two years out of college. I just can't help you with that right now. You are not, you know, <laughs> and that's fine, you know, but, but you be honest, be direct. And in sometimes the answer is no, but, and I'll, I'll tell you just real quick is that one of the best conversations I ever had was I was at Visa. I was a director. I wanted to get promoted to senior director. And my boss said, oh, I would support you in this. Let me go talk to my boss and so on. She comes back to me and says, hey, you need to go in and talk to Johnny, the guy who was her boss. I went into Johnny's office and Johnny, great conversation. And he said, Glenn, I think you do a great job. 
I just don't see the role that you're in as a senior director. So I'm not saying I want you to go. I love what you're doing. You can stay here. You could be in this role. But if you want to be a senior director, we're going to have to find a job for you somewhere else because I don't see that in this group. That was just direct and honest. And now I had the information to go and make that decision on my own. What do I do? So return that favor to to the employees be direct and honest with them don't be afraid of them potentially leaving and going somewhere else because that might be the better move for them and the last thing you want to do is have somebody on your team who is becomes disgruntled because they can't get into the area they want because they can't have an open honest conversation with you as their manager this comes back what to Roy. i just i have to highlight on that one man like for me glenn what you just said like I, I have faced that, right? Like I had a high performer on my team. I won't give names, but you, I had a high performer on my team that we had that honest conversation and she found another opportunity, Absolutely. you know? And I, and I looked at it and I was just like, I, I, I remember being back in that situation was like, now I know how my manager used to feel. But at the same time, it was like, Glenn, you're so right. And why, why jump in on that? Why say that's so valuable as a leader the most important thing that you have to have as a leader is have confidence, calmness, and clarity in conflict. Literally, one-on-one leadership, the number one thing, emotional intelligence, I would say that, you got to have calmness, comfort, and clarity in chaos. Like, when you start to get to that point as a leader, and you start to know, like, this is going to, I mean, the workload that I have now and everything and, and, like, all of that, that was a tough pill. But at the end of the day, I said, Chris, take that head off. It's a now CEOs say, like, what happens if we invest in our uh, CFO say, what happens if we invest in our people and they leave? The CEO says, what happens if we don't invest in our people and they stay? Change my exactly. whole mind about that. So I, right. I just jumped in on that one because, like, I'm I'm literally day right now living in that. Yeah, I love that. I, I read a book called The Purpose Effect. Uh, I think it's by a guy called Dan Pontefract, and he was actually at TELUS in Canada, and he was the head of uh, workforce and, and HR. And it was called it was called The Purpose Effect, and it was about um, if you can align these uh, these the purpose of three key parts of a person's um, you know themselves, right? Number one, their individual purpose. Number two, their their purpose in their role. And then number three, the organizational purpose. If you can get those three things aligned, then that's where you get high-functioning, high-performing employees, right? Now, sometimes it's really hard for you as a leader to, you know, if someone's not behind the purpose of the company, that's not your fault. They might need to move on to somewhere else. But if you can get them, you know, organized behind their individual goals plus their role goals, and then the organizational goals, then you're in for a really, you know, you've got a great employee, very engaged employee. And coming back to what um, I think you said at the very top of the, the this uh, episode, Chris, which was it's your job to connect that person to the mission and the vision and show them and prove to them how their work aligns to that vision. And that's aligning to the organizational purpose. And I think, Glenn, you said it before where that, that boss said to you, well, my role purpose here is different. The purpose of that role is not to be a senior director role and therefore that's not the right place for you to be. And and maybe individuals' goals are misaligned, right? Like maybe someone wants to be something that you don't think they can be and, and it's in, important for you as a manager to kind of help them navigate that too, right, at that human level. Um, and one, one quick thing, Rowan, um, is that those things change so it's not a one-time conversation. It is an ongoing conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. About yeah. Thanks. And and the same as the organizations. So, you know, I'm the I'm a CMO. The organization's purpose and the brand purpose and the brand position changes over time. And so one of the biggest things that I have to do at an organizational level is get the company behind the mission and vision internally all the time. And that's a constant calibration because the company changes, things change within organizations. And if you're an employee that's sitting around thinking, well, this is just like it was two years ago, that may be true for some organizations, but I can tell from the organizations I've worked at, they're changing every quarter, every six months, every year for sure. Um, 100%. And, and, 
And it's really important that somehow you make sure you stay connected to that as an employee and figure out what is changing around me, what's going on and, and ask the questions, but it's also up to the leader to, to help continually reinforce what's going on. And, and Glenn, you talked about it earlier. Transparency is key there because if you're not transparent about what's changing, what's evolving and you're playing these shadow games, you're going to get caught out really fast. That's right. All right, gents. Well, it's the top of the hour. Um, that was a really fun conversation. Thank you so much. I hope uh, our listeners learnt a lot. Uh, we'll be back every Friday, FPNA Fridays, uh, Friday, 10 a.m. Pacific, uh, 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, have a great Friday, everyone. Thanks so much. <laughs>